you everyone for tuning in to Buzzard View Manor. This evening we have a very special guest who's calling in all the way from New York. I would like to welcome Alvin Alexis. Alvin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Hey, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us here at Buzzard View Manor. Well, it's my pleasure. It really is. And thank you for having me on. And so you are known as Roger, a character who is dressed like a pirate in red on Night of the Demons, which, by the way, I want you to know, is the mother of horror Halloween parties. Like, the, it's that kind of film. It's that film that I don't, I'm being serious when I say this, Alvin, I don't think there's ever going to be another film that's ever going to take the place of Night of the Demons. I mean, that is the Halloween party film. And you actually said something just now, and I don't even know if you realize it, but that was the original name of the movie before it was turned into Night of the Demons. It was called Halloween Party. That is right. And I also heard that the reason why they changed the name was because there was some kind of issues because of Halloween, the original Halloween with John Carpenter of some kind of, some kind of coverage, something like that. And so, yeah, but I might have to do with the title itself. Yes. But I couldn't imagine that movie being called anything else, but night of the demons, maybe because I I was introduced to it as that title. Yes. And and actually that's exactly what it, it turned out to be. A night with the demons, yeah, um, or a night of, of possession becoming demons. So it, it definitely fits in a very appropriate way. So when you took this role, did you realize what you were walking into? Did you realize that you were going to be part of this cult classic film? No, I had no idea. But I'll tell you a little, a little something. I actually did not realize. What was happening because I had went the loose the backstory of this whole thing was I went with a friend to Hollywood back in 1987. She wanted to go with someone, and she pretty much said I I would really like you to come, and I was a little reluctant, but I said okay I'll go, and you know just kind of hang out for a while. Um, I had two hundred dollars in my pocket, and when I got there, I thought I had an agent. From New York, the agent in New York that I thought I would be working with there in California said, we don't have any more uh, openings. So I ended up having to look for an agent. That was my first month. That was January of 1987. And I, I found an agent at the end of that month. I said, okay, well, now I've got 50 cents. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, I mean, I was, I was down to like a few dollars. Um, and I was borrowing heavily off these credit cards. So I actually, um, the agent that I got started sending me out on, on some auditions, and I wasn't booking anything. I was just getting nice feedback, callbacks, and all that good stuff. So this is February now, right? And at the end of February, I was pretty much maxed out on my credit card. I said, there's no way I can stay an extra month. I wasn't even planning on staying this long. And I said, I'm going to just have to leave and just head back to New York. So I had actually had made the arrangements to, you know, leave the last day of that month, which I believe was the 28th. Wouldn't you know it, the very, very last day, my flight was booked around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and the agent called me and said, 
an audition for you at one o'clock. Wow. Okay, this is how these things work. When I heard him say that, I said, oh, God, he must know I'm leaving town. <laughs> because you start thinking, okay, you know, why, why is this happening to me? I can't, if I stay an extra month, i got to borrow some money somewhere to pay for the next month's rent. And I just was, like, maxed out. So I had a little dilemma. Do I go for this audition and the chances of me getting the part and may not happen, and then I'm stuck here for an extra month? Or do I just bail and call New York and say, listen, I have to get back to New York, can't make the audition, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what convinced me to take the audition was the fact that the movie was already cast. All the roles were filled. They even cast the role that I had. But the guy that was going to do the part had, um, when he had done another film where he had cut his hair. And so when the director producer saw that, they didn't like that look that he had. It wasn't the same look that he had before because he had, he had a pretty much a yield ground, ball headed all the way. And they didn't like that. So they decided to recast my role. My agent told me, if you get this job, Alvin, then you will definitely, you will know like within a few hours after your audition, if you get the job. So that's what convinced me to go for it because I said, what the hell, you know? I would not be able to live with myself thinking that maybe this is one last thing and I and I just kind of failed. So I went for the audition, messed myself up because now I, I, I don't have money even to get back home and I got to pay another month's rent if I don't get the job. But as fate would have it, and, and I give glory to God for this, I got the part. And of course, immediately I said to the director, um, I need an advance. <laughs> Quickly, so it worked out perfectly, and that was my first Hollywood film, and it worked out really, really well. So I just wanted to share with you that's how that came about. Um, now you had a question for me, right? What was the question? <laughs> Let me just kind of back it up for a minute before I ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the time that my mother brought home the video of Night of the Demons. This was in the eighties, okay? And right. because the video store, those little mom and pop video stores were the bomb back then. So she went to go rent it and she brought me, she watched this movie with me called Night of the Demons. And I'll never forget the intro of like the flying skulls and like these spirits and this haunted house up on the hill. It just had this presence and it just grabbed me. And why was someone who was like nine watching this movie with their mother? I don't know, but my mother was, my mother was very open to horror and that's how it was raised. She's very open. So anyhow, and your character, I'll never forget. It was your character in this film that really stayed with me all these years. Like Roger was like this person who had common sense in this film and he just made, made you believe that he was truly scared. And all he wanted to do was get out of there. So yeah. I just want you to know that I really loved your character. And there was just common sense. What happened? He got scared. He locked himself in the car when he couldn't, when he realized there was, there wasn't a way out. And well, I think that, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that people who've seen the film have come up to me and say, you know, I saw I saw that movie, and you, I really, really identified your your character because I put myself in that situation, and that's what I would have done. I would have done 
exactly what Roger did. Get the heck on out of there. Yes. And and that's what that's the common thing I hear because I think when we all go to movies, that's what we do. We put ourselves in the movie and, and we look for characters that we identify. You know, and if it's a, if it's a movie that that we connect to or relate to, that's usually what we do. And I think with the horror. I think you look for the person who's got the most common sense and who's got a plan to get out of that situation. And my character was just that. I want to say something about my character also. In the days of, what, 1987 when we made the film, 88, if you had put money on who would survive, you would not have put money on Roger. Because in most of the film, prior to that time, the black guy always ended up dying within the first five to ten minutes of the film. And that was the reality. There may have been only one of the films where the black guy did not die in the first five to ten minutes. And he lived to the end, but then was killed. And that was uh, Night of the Living Dead. But all those films from that era, if you look at those films, if you study those films, you'll see what I'm talking about. The black guy definitely does not make it well. So early on. So so this, in many ways, I was making history because this was a twist on that whole thing. And now, I not only did I live past the end of the film, something else happened. I became the hero yes, of that film. Yes, you did. So, those, so that, that, those two things right there alone essentially put this film in a whole other category, a whole other uh, dimension because it changed everything. And I think it started a trend because after that, in, in films to come, the black guy lives. <laughs> okay, so so I think the, the writer was smart in, 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 in what he was. He did his homework and he, he was breaking a trend, and it was a good thing. And I was very happy and pleased with that. And uh, and I'm very proud of, of the fact that he saw a, a need to you know to do something different. The, the writer's name is Joe Augusta. And I give him a lot of credit for doing that. And also, your performance. You really delivered a really good performance in that film because also you have a background in theater. Yes. That gave me, I think, a real good leg up because doing theater, I come from New York, and, that, and New York is a big theater town. And I, at that point, I had a, a number of prominent plays you know, off-Broadway, Broadway, and off-off-Broadway to my credit. So I had um, worked in the theater, and it gave me a lot of, it gave me a, a, a put up because, you know, I understand what the craft is. So there's a craft acting, and if you, if you don't know that, then that's the problem because it's not something that you can just jump up and do, even though you might think you can do it like that. But there's a lot more to it than just jumping up and doing it. And I learned the craft very well. And it really did prepare me for the challenges that I faced in filming and, uh, and of course, well, during that fork in the road where you had a decision to make, do I fly out or do I stay? I just want you to know as a viewer and as a fan, I'm so glad that you stayed and that you took a chance when that decision of that fork in the road, which way do I go? I'm glad that you had that instinct of, I can't live with myself not giving it one last try. Yeah. And, and, and that's something that when I think back, you know, and when I really think back about that, it's the thing that, that, that makes me go, what in the world were you thinking? Are you crazy? I mean, because had it gone the other way, I would have been in a really 
really bad situation. But something just said, you know what? Go for it. I mean, what you're gonna you're gonna lose everything, or you're gonna gain something completely wonderful. And sometimes you really have to go out on a limb if you really believe in yourself and in what you're doing, and that you that you should be doing this. Whatever that is that you want to do, or be an actor, singer, performer, or whatever you're pursuing, you've got to give it your all, and you've got to be willing to go the distance, to go that extra mile. And you may not succeed. Um, you may have some real obstacles to overcome, but at least you can say you gave it your best. And I can never, when I close my eyes for the last time on this earth, I can always say I gave it my all. Yes. And I, and I will be. I will never feel. Um, like, wow, if only I had another opportunity to do it again, I would do it differently. I would never want to have to say that. And I, that's the message I would impart to the listeners of this podcast is to really go for whatever it is that you feel is your dream, is, is your desire. And don't let anything get in, in the way of that. Not even money. Right. <laughs> So I also wanted to share with you that I was attending the Houston Horror Film Festival, obviously down in Houston this past weekend. And yes, yes, so on this Saturday, you know, I was already there Friday night and we were there Saturday and I just wanted to enjoy. I was like, okay, let me go take a little break and let's go have some lunch. And so we loaded up and we went and we had lunch and then we came back and I'm way back. I see this very beautiful young lady walking down the sidewalk of the hotel and she's dressed up in your character. She has the pirate costume on. And I told Leo, I said, stop, let me out right here. I want to talk to her. You know, I'm very superstitious. Sometimes I was like, Whoa, this is like a sign of something. So anyhow. And so I got out of the truck and I said, can I take your picture? And she's like, yes, yes. And so I took her picture. I said, I just want you to know that his character is one of my favorite characters in Night of the Demons. And she was so thrilled and she was so happy. And she said that she was able to talk to you very briefly and that you were very sweet. And she was so thankful and she was all emotional and just so over the top. I mean, not over the top, but just very thrilled that she got to speak to you. Just just so happy, happy. And, you know, it's always impressive that people will, will go and buy the outfits and wear them. And I, I only wish that I was there, you know, because I would love to have taken the photo with her. I just admire that because, I mean, that means she really connected with the character. Yes. Uh, in a very deep way. And, I, and I, I appreciate that. I was happy to be able to talk to her, even though it wasn't in person. I was happy to be able to see her, you know. Um, the, 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 the dual chat that we had on the FaceTime, and uh, it was a real pleasure to, to meet her that way. And maybe perhaps the next time I, I'll be able to get down there, Texas, and see her live in person. Yes, and, and so, and yeah, so yeah, I haven't done a whole lot of, of festivals. Actually, I've done I can count I can count on one hand the amount of festivals that I've done. Um, but I'm trying to increase that and do more. So hopefully, at some point, I'll be able. to Yes. So I said, well, I'm going to have him on as a guest. She's like, really? So sweetie, if you're out there listening, I just want you to know that we didn't forget about you. I didn't forget about you. I'm a person of my word. And I told you that I would mention 
you on my podcast because I appreciate you remembering a character in a film and feeling very passionate about it to dress up. So here's our Roger on the phone with us. So thank you. So I know that everybody remembers you and Nine of the Demons, but there are other films that you participated in, like one of my other favorites, The Wiz. I think a lot of people don't realize that you were in The Wiz. Yes, yes. Um, I that was like straight out of high school when we made that, that when they made that film, and I had auditioned and got uh, you know booked to do the Aunt Empty, one of the family members, of Aunt Empty, Diana Ross. And it was my first big film, and I say big film, was, of course, the magazine of film star that were in the film, which is prior Michael Jackson and Mickey Russell. Diana Ross. Ross. Yes. Diana Ross, yeah. And so it, it was a great inspiration for me to be able to work and, of course, um, be in a film that was directed by the legendary Sidney Lament, mm. who, who I must say is one of the few directors outside of Barbara Streisand that I worked with, where they really know not just how to communicate with actors, but they know the technical side. In other words, they know where that light should be hung and exactly what type of filter should be used and how you light the back and the front. That means Sidney was a genius. He could give you an, an, an actor direction and then he could also be very technical with the crew. Not very many directors aside, Barbara Streisand could do that. I worked with Barbara Streisand and Murray and Tracy. So that really impressed me in a huge way. And I was very happy to have had that experience of working on the Wiz. And you know, it has got me through some lean times because those residuals continue to come to this day. They're not as large as they used to be, but I'm so grateful that they come. Sometimes, you know, you might need a little extra little, a little something, something. Right. And all of a sudden, you get a surprise in the mailbox. <laughs> so, right. So I must say, I was, I, I was, it was, it was a blessing. It was really a blessing. Well, you were in for the love of money. Was it the other movie called the the Preppy Murder, Sweet Liberty? Yes, I did that. I did a um, film called uh, The Brother from Another Planet. Starring Joe Morton as the brother of another planet, and um, and and I I, I had a, a nice little scene with uh, with Joe Morton in 1984, uh, 83 when the film came out. So yeah, so that was another big project to work on. So um, there's, there's, there's uh, Sweet Liberty with Alan Alda it was, was a good project. Alan Alda, by the way, great person to work with too. I mean, I I, I really enjoyed working. He's a Because you, you can feel the energy when it's negative. Oh, you can feel it. You know, I mean, matter of fact, it's in the air. Right. <laughs> you know, it's in the air. And uh, you know when you walk into it because you're like, okay, this is not going to be easy. And, of course, being an actor, 
uh, an environment that lets you create. You know, when you have that kind of environment, you end up giving so much more because you're you're free. Feel free to, to try different things, and you know that if you try something that doesn't look right, no one's gonna say, "Oh, what are you doing?" You know, what do you? Why did I hire you for it? You know, like I gotta hire this other person. He was in a better. You know, you're not right. As a master, you're very vulnerable and sensitive to you know what you're doing. So yeah, it definitely makes a difference when you have a good working environment, people that support you and look to give you uh, a lot of leeway to bring something else to it. Because that's what actors do. You know, we bring our own interpretation or we, we bring our own energies, which can, the director might say, wow, I didn't see it that way. That's interesting. That's good. Or I, I like that better than what I saw that. So sometimes you just have to let actors be and do. And like to get something that just blows you away. And I think that's important that you said that because when you do that, that is when the real magic happens. And I've always said that. Yes. There you go. Wow, see. But you also, as a director, have to be not insecure. Because if you're in, in, I find that the directors who are secure, they don't feel threatened, you know, because those are the ones that are best to work with. They understand, you know, you're just there to do your job, but you're there to make the whole thing look good. And, and, and the director knows, okay, I can step in here and say, okay, it's too much, or you're not giving me enough. But it's the way in which you which you uh, explain that. And, and, and actors, uh, you know, they pick up on that all the time. So absolutely, you know, it, it works both ways. Well, we do know that Night of the Demons was one of your first and last films, and hopefully that'll change here soon. Well, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. And um, I certainly, I, I, I just, so I'm just getting started. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, I, I believe that. Time. Um, but I'm fairly young still, and uh, I'm ready to rock and roll with you. Yes, yes, and I'm looking forward to that. So I'm not going to take any much more of your time because I know that there's things that you have to do, but I would like to thank you for taking time to chat with us here on Buzzard View Manor. Well, it's always my pleasure. Uh, thank you for sending uh, your office for me to do this, and I, I hope those who are listening who may not have seen Everything was VHS. We did not have DVDs at the time. And cable was fairly, it was 
one movie theater that had played in, in Times Square. And that's when I started getting a lot of calls about it. And then eventually, um, a lot of people started, you know, once it was released to DVD and so on, a lot more people started to see it. But it took a while to catch on. And I think that's why it sort of became like this, this classic cult film because, because you kind of found out, out about it through a friend or another friend. And then I think that it became everyone's favorite film after a while. It became a big horror favorite, I should say. Oh, yes. No, because sometimes a film, it takes a while to find find its audience, and I'm so glad it found its audience. Yeah, and, and, each, and, and new generations are finding it. Yes. Which is interesting. Yeah, new generations, you know, that are coming up and are like, you know, looking back in the archives, going, oh my God, that was, that was a fun film, you know, to see. So yeah, I think it, it, really, um, it really made a difference um, in the whole horror genre. Thank you. Yes. And everyone here at Buzzerview Manor, myself and Alvin Alexis, are wishing everyone a good night. Good night.